Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, aka Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's La Marvelous. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Friday, September 18th. My name is Jake Luke, and I'm joined by Spencer Nathaniel Schultz. All dolled up for me tonight. Went over, uh, I actually should hit you up, went over to the old Harriman house Ooh, for a right little, around the corner little lobster night with my brother real quick. We were like driving by and we were like, we we're like, uh, where should we stop? You know, and I was like, what about Harriman house? We went there, they had $20 lobster. It was actually one of the lobsters I've ever had in my life. So yeah, I'm a fancy boy tonight. One of the, uh, yeah, one of the great local options for restaurants around here in Reichsterstown. Um, one of the few, really, in my opinion. I don't really like have any other ones that I'd point to, but uh, big Harryman House guy. We actually went there and had about four beers each after training camp one day last year. So, yeah, great little spot. Great little spot. All right, man. Uh, what's going on here? Uh, it's Thursday night. We got the Ravens and the Texans coming up Sunday on at 425, I believe, a little afternoon kickoff there out in Houston. Uh, and the boys are just sitting in the studio buzzing. We're getting ready to preview that game. And uh, getting ready for Bengals-Browns to come on here, a little AFC North matchup coming up very soon in uh, about 45 minutes or so. Going to be a fun one. I'm curious. I outed the Bengals-Chargers game on Sunday. I looked at but I charted both defenses and scouted both defenses of that game. And it was a fun one. The, uh, the Chargers obviously miss Derwin James. Tell that a little bit. They lost Drew Tranquil early on. Uh, and then the Bengals overall, Joe Burrow just looked like a rookie quarterback. I thought he tried to make plays with his legs. He didn't want to sit pocket too long. And Bobby Hart and Jonah Williams were getting eaten alive. Eat your heart out, Bobby Hart. Oh, my God. Joey Bosa abused Hart on the right side. So I'm curious to see what Miles Garrett does tonight. It feels like he's going to have a big game. I, you know, I tweeted out I project him to have about six to eight pressures tonight, uh, especially coming off of a frustrating game where Nick Boyle, whoo, Nick Boyle giving Miles Garrett, the business. Every single chance he got to combo block him, every single time uh, he was tasked with blocking Miles. Really frustrating. They did the old matador that they did to Jadevi and Clowney last year in Seattle, where you kind of let him come in hot and then a little chip on the shoulder, and then Lamar Jackson's able to 
be that little rabbit and run around the sideline. I did that and floated that pass off to Miles Boykin that you and I were chopping it up on Twitter about earlier. So I think the Browns run away with this one after a very frustrating game. I, I don't see the Bengals being able to to play the big boy ball quite enough with the Browns. Is this in Cincy or Cleveland? I want to say Cleveland. I guess it doesn't no. matter much for the fact that A, there's no fans, and B, they're both Ohio teams. But uh, yeah, yeah. interesting <laughs> interesting little uh, Thursday night uh, matchup here. And yeah, I am excited to continue to watch Joe Burrow. I was getting maybe a little first-year Jameis vibes from him in that first game, a little more scrambly than you would think. Uh, pretty erratic, but also very fun. Looked very composed in the second half in that, uh, that last drive. I was really actually rooting for the Bengals to pull that one out. Uh, and they, for sure. they really should have. I mean, honestly, it was kind of a soft call in the end zone, I thought, on A.J. Green there. That but, for sure, and then the miss on top of it was just... Yeah, it's that like was just you want to at least get, to get your get your young guy to overtime there and see what he can do, but uh, that's that's old fat Randy for you there, Randy Bullock. Uh, much love to that guy. Randy Bullock Randy out of Cincinnati. Bullock. Yeah, I thought Joe played outstanding, considering it was his first game. In he, They ran a lot of hurry up at the end of the halves and at the fourth quarter. When he was able to start calling the offense and getting into a rhythm there, I thought he looked a lot better. Uh, he didn't take too many deep shots. He did ever so slightly miss one to John Ross. It was still maybe a catchable ball. Wasn't perfectly accurate, but John Ross kind of did the old Torrey Smith thing where he kept his put his hands out really wide and the ball kind of fell between them a little bit. Alligator so, situation. Yeah, a little bit. No, he was he was outstretched. His arms were outstretched. He just like clapped at it and uh, made it there. But Burrow made it with his legs. Uh, the the old white athletic quarterback adage is always you know uh, deceptively athletic, athletic yeah. and that kind of stuff. Burrow's an athlete, man. He was able to to scoot and boot. He did make a couple really weird decisions, trying to pitch a little weird shovel pass thing and throws it right into Melvin Ingram's chest for a turnover. But Bengals defense. Much improved from last year. Much improved from last year. They didn't have Geno Atkins either. I believe he's inactive tonight as well. So once they get him back, they might be might be a decent unit. I was thinking coming into the year they could be a little bit of a frisky team. So uh, something to watch there for sure. And uh, we will be watching it. But before we get to our guest, who is uh, going to be, I see MD Law so hard chiming in there. Did you see Tiger's putt? I did. U.S. Open going on this weekend. Uh, Tiger draining bombs. Uh, I think he. Went into the clubhouse at like plus one or two, though. So kind of a tough tough start for Tiger. But yeah, big sports weekend with the U.S. Open going on. We don't have to talk about that right now. Uh, before we get to our guests, we big did sports one. Weekend. We had the sports equipment. We had all five American sports and U.S. Open. Yeah, that's, that's something, man. It's maybe a, a good byproduct of COVID is that we have too many sports to choose from right now. But yeah, did right. want to jump into some of these uh, little news bits. So we had Ronnie Stanley and Jimmy Smith off of the... Uh, or on the injury report, they did not practice leading up to Wednesday. They returned to practice today. Ronnie Stanley initially had been dealing with an ankle thing from the game, but now apparently it's reportedly a hip issue that he's dealing with. So a little bit of a murky stuff there, but he did return to practice on Thursday, as did Jimmy Smith. Other guys not practicing. Who did I write down here? I believe it was... Brandon Williams had a vet day. Clay. Chris Moore didn't practice. Justin Matabuike didn't practice. And I believe Justice turned to practice yesterday on Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think he did, and I think Calais got a vet day as well. Uh, yeah, Justice Hill returned. And yeah, okay, so on the Texan side, you got J.J. Watt, Titus Howard, Brandon Cooks, and Duke Johnson. They were all limited, but outside of them, nobody really banged up there for the Texans. Right, so sounds like they'll be good to go for the most part. They also are a little more rested having that Thursday game, so they'll be at home as well, and that saves them a little time there. So they have that advantage over the Ravens. Maybe that maybe that factors into a slightly closer game than we think. But when you go back and look, we'll get into it and, and mix it all up. But the big thing for me is just 
what are you scared of? Like, what is there to be scared of about the Texans offense? And of course, the Chiefs are great. And don't get me wrong, Texans are going to win games. Sean Watson, great player. But without DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, David Johnson played well, but I just feel like without DeAndre Hopkins, there's there's no there's no, no matchup that you're really in fear of. You know, a couple guys phrase can run. I, uh, Brandon Cook, Wolf, Fuller of Speed. But phrase I like uh, to use not, is uh, toothless. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of, their offense doesn't bite. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. They give me, yeah, they give me no bite vibes. Um, especially after that performance, they did look rough. I, I chopped that up a little bit on the dossier, which you should check out on baltimorebeatdown.com, a little weekly column that I'm trying to start up this year. And, uh, yeah, it looks kind of like, uh, they got some talent at the skill positions, but other than that, man, not a whole lot to but get not, excited about. I, like a little bit of talent. It's like, like a, a lot of it's of the, so they're similar at wide receiver and at cornerback. It's like they have a lot of names, but like nobody really strikes fear. And it's just sort right. of a weird hodgepodge of dudes that like you go from don't DeAndre, beat up on bad teams. Whoever yeah. I don't even know what the bad teams are gonna be at. This week feels weird, feels very unpredictable. Week one, we can't draw too many illusions, but they ha- yeah, they have the names. It feels like they have experience and a lot of high draft pick, things like that. But who strikes fear in you? I mean, J.J. Watt is still a great player, too, on the other side of the ball, but not, you know, he's not peak J.J. Watt at this point, I don't think. He, he still is effective and is able to get off the ball and stuff. But uh, I, I just don't see them being a, an, a, able to beat elite teams. Defensively, it's a far cry from the days of him and Whitney Merciless just wrecking tackles and uh, some of the guys they had in right. the secondary. Jonathan Joseph's still there, but much older. I mean, that guy's been old for literally ever. So, who's their safe? What's the safety's name? Justin Reed. He's he's pretty good. They did he's a good. good they, yeah. I mean, they did a good job limiting the Chiefs for the most part in terms of big plays, but they were so afraid of limiting big plays that. I mean, Mahomes just picked them apart. Shout it's out really to, interesting uh, being able to. Yeah, shout out to Nora right. Princiati on the. Um, ringer nfl show i was listening to that right before this and she said the chief's average depth of target was like five yards which like if you go back and watch that game it, it bears out that they did not really try them deep at all they just chunked the ball all over them yeah they've a lot of too high uh, a lot of cover four cover two all that stuff keeping those two safeties off coverage they surrendered death by a million paper cuts but mahomes i mean Mahomes still made plays they still made plays ran the ball all over them too and against the ravens i mean I don't think this rushing attack from Baltimore is going to be quite as explosive. I think it'll still be, you know, right at the top of the league in comparison with last year. Uh, I think it'll still be at the top of the league, but they they just basically allowed Clyde Edwards Hilaire in the Chiefs running game to really beat them up. And the Chiefs have a good offensive line for sure. Uh, but they they respected Patrick Mahomes and you got we we saw the Texans last year. We saw them last year, 41 to 7. They didn't have the spectacular athletes on defense to hold the perimeter. In the option game, they don't have anyone that could cover Kelsey, so they had to split Zach Cunningham out with him, taking essentially their best run defender off the ball away from the run. And he got, he got he's not a great cover guy. Yeah, he got absolutely victimized. Yeah, he's not a good cover guy, so I don't understand the the cost-benefit analysis is not going to weigh in favor of splitting out wide with Travis Kelsey. So I don't understand that move. I don't know how they're going to cover Mark Andrews. Uh, I don't know how they're going to cover Hollywood and those intermediate, those digs and those in-breaking routes and the curls and those kinds of things. And that's sort of the point. That's the point I made in the article is like, yeah, you can say like it's the Chiefs and like for sure, like that's a very tough week one draw Thursday night. They had fans at Arrowhead and everything. Everyone's fired up. You can say like it's the Chiefs and they got great skill positions. But for the first time in a long time, Feels like the Ravens have some uh, some dogs on offense that you're going to have to deal with too. So it's not exactly a much easier draw, in my opinion. 
Right. And the Ravens and the Chiefs do a lot of similar things offensively in terms of motion, motion at the and say what you want. You can call it a poor man's version. You can call it what you want. But when you look at the the bones, when you look at the structure of the offenses in terms of the, the talent, Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, dynamic playmakers that have arm talent, athletic ability, can you know compare them, get mad about whoever. I don't care. Tyreek Hill, Hollywood Brown, Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews. Uh, some of the ancillary players, you know, Duvernay feels like maybe uh, a Mecole Hardman type. And, you know, I definitely think Sammy Watkins is probably a, eh, no, I mean, Willie Sneed, it's, it's a different offense. And Willie Sneed does different things as a blocker and goes in line, but an effective player, a veteran player that, that you know, compare them and say who's better or who's not. I don't care about that. Just talking about kind of definitely, Chief's definitely uh, yeah, Chief's definitely a little faster, I would say. But yeah, the talent overall, I think kind of matches up a little bit weirdly. Right, and I think the Chiefs' offensive line is pretty pretty good. Maybe maybe a little tiny bit above, especially with Colicio Semele playing like the 2017 Colicio Semele. Uh, of course, so that happened. I, I by the way, that, yeah, of course, of course, of course, he's going to return to form on the Chiefs on a cheap contract. So someone was like, "Well, I don't know why the Ravens didn't make him an offer." It was like he uh, he pretty 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 much talked a lot of shit about Baltimore on the way out. Pretty vocal in bashing them. I think he was just kind of mad that he didn't get the contract offer he wanted from them. Right. And I think they kind of opted to keep Yonda. If I'm not mistaken, they gave Yonda. A yeah. It came down to those contract. two. And it came down to those two. And the take from a lot of people at the time was, you got to go with the young guy and listen, they made the right decision as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Kalechi is a great player. Wasn't able to stay healthy for a couple of years, but yeah, I'm glad glad to see him return to form. Always important for the players to play at their best. That's what gives us as fans the best product. So I don't want to root against people. I don't want them to perform badly. Uh, just, you know, especially someone that the Ravens don't see all the time. If it's someone in Pittsburgh or something, I might be like, oh, okay, you can kind of be average. But uh, yeah, I think that good for him. Good for him in the end. But it's interesting that you get to, we get to watch this Texans Chiefs game. And then those are the next two opponents. So that's fun as well, kind of pre-scouting the Chiefs also. Which I feel like in the scheme of things, when you talk about those three teams, Baltimore, Kansas City, and Houston, it feels like they're all in the same wheelhouse and the Texans are just the the you know, the kid brother, the the not the toothless version. I really like that word to describe them. The one that can't really do that much damage. Uh, the offensive concepts are okay. They use motion. They get get some side to side action. They've got some speed on the outside a little bit, but just nothing to strike fear into the heart of their opponent. And uh, it, it's a tough draw having Kansas City in Kansas City and then having Baltimore come to town. So those two teams running motion, having defenses that uh, use a lot of versatile chess pieces and things like that is got to be really shitty. But at least you get probably your two worst game year out of the way off the bat and then can, you know, assess yourself and probably beat up on some bad teams after that for Houston. I haven't really looked at their schedule, but yeah, I feel like the AFC South kind of going to be a little bit of a race this year. Don't you think? For sure. I mean, I was devastated. I, my guaranteed, you know, big money lock of the week was Indianapolis minus eight. And that didn't go so well. They couldn't (laughs) Gardner Minshew had a wide open check down every single play and took advantage of it to his power. He's an air raid quarterback. He is trained to take that low hanging fruit. He is quick. And I love watching Gardner Minshew play so much freaking mental sharpness. And there's this exciting energy. Like when you look at, let's say, let's say you look at like Daniel Jones and Josh Allen and Gardner Minshew and you, you have this energy about them. And in Daniel Jones, 
there's a ton of talent, there's really good ball placement, but there's this erratic play. There's this kind of worrisome, turnover-worthy, boneheaded mistakes you see. And he's only a second-year guy. That's you know, not the end of the world. Josh Allen has to cut the fat off of that. Josh Allen still misses a lot of weird throws because he can do too much and, and put the ball into turnover-worthy situations. But then Gardner Minshew, it feels like he has that same energy, but it's harnessed if that makes any sense. I know it's not you know a quantitative thing to say, but Gardner Minshew's energy feels in control, but also like there. You can feel that he's been, uh, you know, with his hair on fire, whatever the classic phrase. But uh, those three guys, I, I feel like Minshew just has this calmness about him with it, where he plays with energy, but is able to prevent making really shit decisions as a passer. Like Baker is a rookie kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I like that comparison. Baker was throwing that thing a little bit more downfield uh, than Minshew has more arm talent, but ar- that's this is why this is why arm talent is the most over talked about, overrated thing in the entire world. The two of the like four highest velocity passers in the NFL combine history: Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield. Josh Allen was arguably the worst deep ball thrower in terms of accuracy in the NFL last year, if it's even arguable. I mean, he missed everything all the time; couldn't hit a barn. Baker Mayfield, gun shy, despite having the arm talent, we saw him time and time stare down throws against the Ravens and not make open throws. And then you see Gardner Minshew, who has limited arm talent compared to those guys, but he can make every throw you need him to make. If you're an NFL caliber quarterback, you can make every throw for the most part. There's not that many guys that limit. Mark Gardner Minshew velocity doesn't touch. He can't throw the ball as far. And those are things that are like really cool when you're 13 years old, but when you're actually playing quarterback so much more of the game is knowing when to throw the ball and and who is going to be open, how to read coverage, how to understand leverage and those things. They're so much more important than throwing a meaty spiral down the 60 yards down the field. Like that shit is only valuable two plays a game at most, being able to run, you know, as far as you can. And while it looks cool, it in the end is more times than not just like a really high fly ball more than you know a home run it reminds me of the hollywood brown quote about lamar jackson where he's not throwing to targets anymore he's throwing to spots now and it's up to us to get there and that's how it has to be that's how you become a robotic offense in a way that uh you know throwing to a place knowing where that place is being on the same page and that's why having continuity whereas it's that's why it's difficult to really rip baker Three years in the NFL, three different offensive coordinators. I mean, Joe Flacco had a revolving door at offensive coordinator, but had a little bit of continuity, at least early on. It wasn't like that before it really kind of got out of control there. But having to learn new terminology, those those spots that he's talking about, those landmarks change. Every year when you have a new offensive coordinator, the routes change, the, the timing, the arm slot, all that stuff is going to need to change the feet, the eyes, you know, the way you take the snap, the way you communicate, the terminology you use pre-snap and how you talk with your teammates uh, and, and let them know things, how you read things is going to be different. It's like learning to read in Spanish and then having to speak it in Russian the year later. Like it doesn't make sense. There's not a direct translation between these different things. So got to give him a grain of salt with that. But holy shit, man, when you go back and watch the film, I know you saw it too. And there were open receivers. Odell Beckham got open. He did have the drop. But he got open on some, you know, nothing crazy deep. There was a, you know, one or two there where he probably should have had the ball thrown to him and could have made a big play. But consistently, there were like five to 10 yard outbreaking routes wide open. And Minshew's, or pardon me, May- Mayfield's primary read would be who he was looking at 
vet was open and then you just see the happy feet start and then he looks away from it and starts to roll out and then make some errant throw that's late had no anticipation had no ability to look beyond defenders and throw them open and you know and none of it and it was uh, it was kind of sad to watch i uh, i felt why odell beckham when you go back and we got the end zone and the sky view now it, odell beckham had a reason to have that thousand yard stare as you said holy shit he should have had you know at least he, he should have had like at least seven catches for like 90 yards or something he was open Great rant by you. Plenty of good points. And we are expecting plenty of good points out of our guest here who now joins us. It is uh, Steph Stradley of the Houston Chronicle. Steph, how are you doing tonight? Good. How are y'all doing? Good. Thanks for joining us. I didn't know it was Green Hat Day. Listen, it's uh, it's always Green Hat Day where I am, so I'm happy to see you uh, joining the movement there. You know, I guess uh, not everybody got the uh, notification of that. Well, somebody's dressed <sighs> up for out. us tonight here. He's got his little collared shirt on there, so... Well, there you go. Exactly. Yeah, well, we really appreciate you getting on. We've been uh, hoping to get somebody uh, who's in touch with the uh, Houston scene and the Texans, as it were. So, you know, you're working for the Chronicle, and you're as plugged in as anybody. So how would you sum up how the Houston fan base feels about this team or felt about this team heading into 2020 after what was pretty, you know, a, a tumultuous offseason, I would say, in a rough opening game there? Yeah, I— I don't work for the Chronicle. I'm more freelance with the Chronicle, but I've done it since 2006. Right. Oh, and wow. I'm very connected to what the fan base is. I mean, the fan base is sick of Bill O'Brien for a variety of reasons, but I guess the primary one is, you know, they seem to be still struggling putting an offense together, and you finally have Deshaun Watson. Like, why? Why is this so difficult? You know, when when Watson first, I guess he didn't start. He came in on a game his his rookie season, and um, he he was amazing. And that right. actually got Bill O'Brien an extension. And then you know he got hurt. And then the thought was, okay, well he's just going to pick up where you know he left off. And he's been amazing, but not like the crazy stuff that he was doing his his rookie season. And I think part of that was they, you know, they're dead. If Deshaun Watson gets hurt, he's a very brave player. You know, he holds onto the ball longer than most quarterbacks do, but a lot of times he can make teams pay with that. But I mean, he's pretty courageous. Like he got kicked in the eye and scored a touchdown. One of the most unbelievable plays I've ever seen. He He's already done a number of plays that I've never seen anybody do on a football field but all that being said you know he has to survive he you know he has to survive and so their way of getting him to survive is not necessarily how a lot of really good offensive teams would do it um like you know like i don't think that he would look the same way let's say paired with andy Reid. i i'm i'm just never like it always looks like they're working so hard for everything. Like they right. have the play, they have the play, you know, he's in the pocket, in the pocket, in the pocket, in the pocket, and then has to do something crazy. And it just seems like the offense doesn't really take advantage of the things that he's so good at. That's a great way of putting it. And it does feel like they're working so hard for not even a maximized result, just for those, you know, average plays. But on a more positive note, who would you say is one under the radar acquisition that maybe Ravens fans wouldn't know about that 
excites Texans fans and feels like it's going to be a really good fit? Who or one person who might just be getting more playing time? Who's who's a bright spot so far? Um, it's hard to say because people are more upset about the non-acquisition, the exit. Uh, of DeAndre Hopkins. And so that's kind of overshadowed a lot of things, but I think Jordan Aikens tied in for the Texans. Uh, he's very, you know, he's an athletic player. He's a dynamic player. You know, he's gotten to know the offense better. Uh, he's the kind of player mentally that I think O'Brien likes. And, you know, if you look to week one, the players that tended to get most of the catches were the players that already had chemistry from just with just Sean Watson from previous seasons. Like the thought was, okay, you get rid of DeAndre Hopkins. He's going to have to spread the ball around more. And then Will Fuller gets 30% of the, the targets. So it looks so far that, you know, he's, you know, sending the ball to the players that he has some familiarity with. And, you know, that makes sense. Sure. I mean, it's hard switching teams unless you're DeAndre Hopkins and you just happen to be one of the best wide receivers in the league. Absolutely. And uh, going back to Deshaun there, I mean, he just got paid ahead of the season opener. He's decidedly the guy for them now on that four-year extension. And I mean, that was already, you know, known about. That was a formality. But outside of his contract situation, what would you say the main talking points that the local media were kind of hitting on throughout training camp? Well, I mean, there was so little training camp. Right. I mean, that's, I, I, I still don't have my feet under me as to, you know, how this, this season goes. I mean, I think that they're relying on him more than ever. You know, they've kicked the training wheels off by sending Hopkins away or um, uh, <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins away. And then um, the defense is not, is not probably going to be good this year. Like, I don't see why you would think that they would be good this year. They weren't good last year. You know, they had, you know, JJ Watt got hurt, but at the same time, they weren't great when he was available. He was, they were just worse at, at run defense when he wasn't available. Uh, and so I guess everything's on his shoulders. Like you have very little off season. You got a bunch of new skill positions that you need to get, you know, on the same page with. I don't think that the offense is particularly good at um, incorporating new people. You know, like, you know, there's been any number of people that say that have gone through the new, new England system. And sometimes the new wide receivers for that system haven't, haven't caught on, you know, right. Like there are some systems that like, you know, for the, for example, the Rams, the Rams Great example. very simple system in one way in that it looks the same, but they have a lot of offshoots on it and it, it doesn't make the quarterback have to process as much, uh, you know, with, with Houston history, you know, Kubiak system, Kubiak system, you know, very simple in, in, in some respects, but they're really good at what they really are good at. And, you know, they don't ask the quarterback to do a, a ton pre-snap. So the quarterback can really focus on just making plays and, you know, rolling out and, you know, he would take advantage of the things that that quarterback did well. I don't see them doing that with this offense. I mean, they have moments of looking like they're clicking, but they're not consistent. And it's really hard to be consistent because I really, you know, Bill O'Brien was hired to be the offensive mind to run the Houston Texans. 
And he's never had an effective offense all the time that he's been here. I mean, that's 2014. I mean, how much, like, to me, if you're really good on one side of the ball, you should be able to see that right away. And there's been issues with both the way that he's comprised his rosters and just putting a good product on the field. Like I and he had the excuses of of not having the court play, and then now you have Deshaun Watson, and then it felt like the Texans leaned on the defense for so long. But Romeo yeah. Cornell was there, and and was such a well respected defensive he's mind. Still, he's still with the Texans. He's just not in the same role. Right. I just don't think, you know, now that Bill O'Brien is also the GM, all of the excuses are gone. Like the the excuse has always been like I didn't have my guys. Like he never said that, but that was implied it's the media narrative yeah and and so it's like okay fine okay we're the buck stops with you like and you know frankly if this doesn't work it's much easier to clean house if you can just go oh bill the gm bill the head coach are gone i mean that i mean that is is the possibility if this doesn't work out and i just i have a hard time seeing things work out i mean that he's going to need Deshaun Watson to bail him out. That's just- and that's putting so much pressure. It's it's putting him. It's putting Deshaun Watson in a position to fail. It feels like based upon that. Um, so I really appreciate all of that. So in terms of Romeo Romeo Cornell's, you know, number one guy now, Anthony Weaver, former Baltimore Raven. What is the word on the street with Anthony Weaver for those Ravens fans? Might be a little younger, a little newer. He was a former defensive end out of Notre Dame and was always very well liked, very well respected, a hardworking player. Uh, never, never a superstar, but always a solid contributor, especially in run defense. The perfect so, player to transition into a coach. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was with he was with the Texans as well, and when he was a player, you could completely see that he would be the kind of player that could be a coach down the road. You know, he he was just a solid player, solid teammate. You know, he wasn't. He wasn't like the number one guy ever, but you know, in some ways, those are the kinds of people that make great coaches because they exactly. have to make themselves. And so, you know, he doesn't come just from one background. He comes from different backgrounds. He's not, you know, he's going to take some of the things that Romeo Cornell has used, but he's also bringing in his own parts of it. Now he has said, um, in you know what he's talked to the media about that you know against the Ravens you're not going to want to be too tricky because you know you have your gap responsibility and even if you do everything perfectly you know Lamar Jackson's so good that you know he's 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 just difficult to defend and so he's a rabbit without a cage more yeah. often than not yeah so I mean I think I think I think. I think he has his work cut out for him because this is the same roster that struggled last year. Like, yeah, they have some parts here and there, but they had to manufacture their secondary. You know, their good secondary pieces got older. They did not really find good replacements for them while they were here. And like, that's the hardest thing of the NFL. Like that's not just, you know, the Texans, you know, the teams that do the best are the teams that are able to replace their good players with more good players. And that's a hard thing to do. That's a hard, like if a guy's solid, you know, they're solid and then they leave. Okay. Well, is the next guy available to take their place? And, you know, they had to manufacture a secondary out of 
pretty much nothing uh, last year. And so the hope is for this year, it's like, okay, these guys have been, you know, they know where the light switches are in the building now. They've played together for a while. You know, maybe they'll be better in year two. But, you know, the pass rush is J.J. Watt and Mr. Nobody. I mean, they have a lot of decent players, but n- nobody that's, you know, J.D. Clowney, for example. I mean, he's a unique player. And, you know, you Plus, D.J. Reader, who was a real bright spot last year, is now gone in Cincinnati. Yes, yes. So, I mean, they have they have P.J. Hall. They think good things about him. You know, they have a number of guys that they're hoping that over the course of the season work out for them. But I'm I'm not optimistic about it. Well, that uh, leads almost perfectly, maybe not so perfectly, into my next question. Heading into that Kansas City game, was there optimism of the possibility to pull off the upset, or is it just kind of like uh, we're lambs to the slaughter here, just kind of marching into Arrowhead? Well, I don't know. If it was lambs to the slaughter because they, you know, they beat they beat Kansas City the last time last season. You know, during the the Super Bowl season, of course, the the roster was a little different, but they tried to do that same thing against the Chiefs um, that they did the first time, which is you know that first game that they beat them, they had like huge time of possession, like stupid high time of possession. Same thing the Colts and- did against them that year. Yeah, and they tried to do kind of that rope-a-dope kind of stuff in the second half of this last game, and it just not was not like, hey, you're down by some touchdowns here. You can't just kind of slowly matriculate down the field and think you're going to outscore the Chiefs. But I think, I think because they don't – I think a couple things. I think they don't, they don't think that their defense is good. I also think that they can't rely on their – their pass protection because it's erratic and they don't want Deshaun Watson to get killed. So that's why they probably run the ball a little bit more than they would like to otherwise. And so I think, I think you may see more of that this upcoming game because, you know, I don't think they want to be embarrassed. And I think this defense can get embarrassed. Absolutely. And, you know, it was a tough loss, but, Thinking of positives, what were the bright spots that you might be able to take away from that, you know, uh, very frustrating game? Uh, David Johnson, you know, the, the big concern was, you know, David, jo- unfortunately, I, I said some things about it when the trade first happened. Everyone did, you know. For the first time ever, I've been blocked by a Houston Texans player. I did not add him, but somebody else did. You know how this goes. Um, but I mean, his contract was so bad. There was some thought that they were going to have to do the Brock Osweiler thing, which is to give up a, a pick to get rid of the contract. Like the idea is, you know, these big running back contracts, the thought is, Oh, well, you know, you might just have to get nothing, but they couldn't get rid of the contract. You know, they couldn't just drop it. I mean, it was a bad, bad contract. And so, the idea that they took that contract on is like, okay, well, that's a lot of pressure to make that work because running back contracts are just not ones that you want to take on. That being said, you know, if he's a good player, a good player is a good player, and you can just say, okay, we'll just put the contracts aside, you know, when we're in the field, can this guy play? And, you know, he showed some some of the things that he had shown in, in some of his best performances in Phoenix, and the thought is, well, maybe – the Texans will use him better. 
And they might have to use him better because Duke Johnson came out of the last game with an ankle and is questionable to play for the game. We'll see. We'll see how that works. Okay. Well, you know, David Johnson, definitely that trade obviously was very much maligned, I guess, by you and everyone else. And uh, it's tough, but he did look pretty good in that game. And so now they're heading into week two. It's another tough draw on the Ravens. You know, do you have a, a sense for how people in the area, how people in the organization maybe feel about their chances in this one? Well, I, I, I mean, I don't know about the organization. I, I think, I mean, I think any team with Deshaun Watson, you can't count out. I mean, because he does crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's reasons why the Ravens are favored. They were a great team last year. And um, the, the Texans, they work so hard. Like when you watch them play, it's not that they're not playing hard. They always play hard, but it's almost like they have to try so hard with on, on both sides of the ball. Like they're just trying really hard, but not necessarily smart. I don't think the scheme does them any favors on either side of the ball, although it's too early to say on the defense. I just, I think on the defensive side of the ball, they just don't have the roster. Yeah, they, uh, it felt like against the Chiefs, definitely had to play it really safe to prevent, you know, getting huge plays over top. The Chiefs didn't really make any explosive plays in the passing game, but Which they is, watch a quarterback who's. That, that was amazing. Right. Their yards per play was actually not very high. It's just, you know, they were terribly efficient. Yeah, and it felt like the that Danny Weaver's game plan was we're going to sell out to force the Chiefs to be patient, and they were more than happy to do so. So I don't I don't hate that game plan considering what you just said. Uh, it was just difficult with the offense not able to to compete and trying to do that. You know, rope a dope as you used to describe it. Great great term to use to describe it. Offense wasn't going to work against the Chiefs, but uh, you know they they watch a quarterback who's. Made- the only one in the NFL similar to Lamar Jackson, you know, talking about those those crazy plays you mentioned uh, in Deshaun Watson, of course. And in that sense, we're curious what Texans fans' opinions might be towards Lamar Jackson, if you could sum it up, because it feels it feels like Watson is more of a consensus kind of expected talent, and Jackson has had a lot of a polarizing controversy to him. I, I you know. I hate to speak on behalf of all fans. I just think that that we're just in a glorious era of oh, absolutely, really entertaining talent at quarterback. Like there was a time where it's like, oh man, you know, all these new quarterbacks—they all suck. And I know this very well because the Texans were out in the wilderness of sucky quarterbacks for a long time. I'm Mr. Savage, hand up. No, I like I like I like him. I like him. <laughs> he did he he played admirably for sure. He really tried. Now, Brock Osweiler. Mm, I don't want to go. Actually, I'm I'm getting symptoms of you know post traumatic stress. Just we'll thinking. avoid we'll avoid the the B O like, name like the because he sure stinks like B O. But like there is so many great quarterbacks now, and they all have pluses and minuses to their game. I mean, I think. I, I think that you're, it would be ridiculous not to respect everything that Lamar Jackson can do and that you should not look at the playoff loss as anything negative against him. I mean, you know, it, it's amazing he's already done the things that he's done with this little time in the league. And, and Similarly I, to Deshaun Watson, a guy who's been in the playoffs since, he, since he's been healthy. Yeah, yeah. And I – 
you know, they have some similar situations. Like I, I'm very curious to see how this matchup is because, you know, the Texans played a very tough matchup. The Ravens played the Browns. So the Browns played a, the Browns played a dreadful game and they've played the Ravens really tough a couple of times, but this one, they they were, were especially their their quarterback did not perform. Yeah. They were lifeless out there. I, I think that the Ravens rightfully should be, should be favored in this game. But if the Texans won it straight up, that wouldn't surprise me either. For sure. And going back to that rough game, I mean, I don't want to keep touching on it, of course, but looks like the Texans O-line had some trouble holding up against the Chiefs front. Uh, is that something that you thought was like a really big issue heading into the season? And do you expect the Ravens to really try and exploit that? Or what, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think the the positive for the offensive line would be that just from a talent perspective, they've they're better like they brought i have a hard time with a lot of the decisions that they've done on offensive line over the years where they brought in people that when i watched them practice they they walked worse than i do like you know you're an athlete and you're you're gimping around the field you know like old like they they would either have rookies or old washed up guys it's like, whose plan is this that you're going to protect the quarterback with this assemblage of, you know, the island of misfit toys? I mean, it's just not. So all of the players that they have on the offensive line, they have some level of talent. Um, you know, Laramie Tensel is a great player. Like he has, he has a lot of upside. They have a couple of newer players that I think can be good players. Do I think that this unit is coached very well? No, I don't. Do I think that the scheme does them any favors? No, I do not. So I think that they're going to have problems with that for a while. Like they have some young players. I think, um, you know, they sometimes have problems with, you know, delayed rushes. I think they have sometimes problems kind of working together. Um, As as far as like passing off on stunts, things like that. Not just the offensive line, you know, it also goes with, you know, the tight end position as well. And then the I, backs, also, yeah. you know, a lot of it does go on the quarterback. The quarterback has to call protections. The, you know, Deshaun Watson holds on to the ball. Like there's only so much time that you can pass protect before, you know. This some- past game was such a microcosm of, of that point because it felt like whenever he got the ball out in rhythm in his drop back, yeah. there were positive results. And when he held the ball, the Chiefs were superior in terms of talent and were able to make plays when you gave them enough time to. But within the rhythm of the offense, it felt like Watson did well. Yes. And yes. sometimes QBs get so used to playing in chaos that they just start playing in chaos, whether there's chaos or not, which I think I see happening in Deshaun a little bit with a lot of these jump passes and stuff that he's trying to do. It's it's interesting. There were a couple of check downs that were so easy, and he made them very difficult. I agree with that for sure. Yeah. And I'm not sure exactly what he was seeing with that. Um you know, he's been very good with the deep ball. And um, I think he's one of the best deep ball, if not the best one of the him, Russell Wilson and a handful of guys. Watson has been spectacular deep so far in and, his career. And it's different now because he doesn't have, you know, DeAndre Hopkins kind of getting a lot of attention. Like, because if if Hopkins was one on one with somebody, he was going to get the ball and he was going to win that. 
Okay, so now he's going to get a whole bunch of different coverages that he hasn't seen because he has different personnel he's playing with. And, you know, it doesn't matter how many speedy wide receivers the Texans have. If they don't catch the ball, it doesn't it doesn't matter. So, there were definitely a couple drops. We saw Fuller have some. We saw Cooks have some. All I believe Stills had one. It was all around. Yeah, and, and that's, uh, you know – you can't you can't have those like professional wide receivers just can't have those drops and and I think part of it is just you know you have a lack of chemistry because you know you you know I did this not- is the worst year to have so much turnover in in the wide receiver room and and like that so it's it's understandable when it was week one yeah and and I have to say that was one of the curious things about the whole trade you know because you know it happened right as the world was shutting down. In fact, at the moment it was happening, I had COVID. So I was not in a great oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. So so like it was pretty clear that if there was going to be a season, it was going to be a really unorthodox season. Like it was pretty clear back then, like if we have a season at all. And so to kind of make all of these trades all at once and I mean, I think they're going to just make it work. Now, I will tell you you know, I've, I've said all sorts of negative things about Bill O'Brien, but one of the things that's positive for him is he's just scrappy. Like, he doesn't care if it's pretty. If, if you were in a knife fight with him, he would just find a way and then just would be bleeding all over the place. I mean, he's just... He's a brawler. He's a brawler. He's a scrappy brawler. I like that. He's, that's, like, he... he I have he's seen got him. the chin, he's got the chin for it 100%. He's he's just a northeast guy, you know, through and through. Yes. Yes, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so like, you know, he's going to find he's going to find a way. Now, sometimes sometimes that works against him like, you know, some But some- like you said, I love what you said so much that it feels like they have to work so hard and they do find a way so often, but they have to work so darn hard to get the result that they're looking for and and it just after all these years and all these changes that you've mentioned, the offensive line, the defensive coordinator, the receivers, all these things, the process is Bill O'Brien's. And you were speaking about how some offenses are able to you know, seamlessly transition, and that's because process and the learning, the ability to teach and instruct, and a coach is an educator. They are a teacher. And it feels like having so many years of experience and him being the common denominator just doesn't speak well for his process, but it does speak to his fortitude. And the fact that yeah. he has been able to get results. Yeah. And I also think that it's just kind of to run off so many GMs, you know, at some point, you know, there's the whole thing, like, you know, if, if every day you keep on running into a-holes, maybe you're the a-hole. Like, you know, like if you keep, if you can't work, if you can't find competent people who are experienced that you can continue to work with, then maybe it's you. And I mean, we saw a little bit of that during hard knocks. I have to say that was a very difficult, weird camp and he certainly didn't like it. Fun se- mean, fun season though. I got to say that's still one of my favorite. That was one of the best ever. Yeah. Very. No, that, 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 I mean, other than the quarterback play, but I mean, <laughs> that was fun as an opposing fan, but you know, yeah, yeah. My my whole time is like, okay, it's a hundred degrees out. Where are the cameras? I want to make sure that 
I'm not. <laughs> Just go focus on Charles James and his socks. Leave me alone. Yes. Yes. It's green hat day, low brim yeah. every day. Very, very. <laughs> but I mean, he's, he has his moments. I mean, there's a reason why he was called teapot when he was with new England and, you know, but I mean, he can also be ex- extraordinarily generous. And I think, I think, you know, maybe with the personnel he brought in, he's trying to soften some of the edges that he's had. But, you know, my own view is, is if you're really confident at what you do, you, if you're a, if you're a badass, you want to surround yourself with badasses. I haven't seen him do that on the offensive side of the ball. Like, you know, like you know, people go, oh, fire Bill O'Brien. Like after the first game, after you lost to the the defending Super Bowl champions. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. But let's say, let's say you wanted to fire him. Who would you put in place? I mean, everybody on the offensive side of the ball is less accomplished than he is. I mean, I I appreciate those offenses where if you're you know the offensive minded guy, you still have an offensive minded guy running your show. And I'm just not, I've never been impressed with his, his staff on the offensive side of the ball. I don't think that it's shown very well with, you know, how how the results are. Like, I I think if, if you had an actually offensive minded coach, you would see immediately the benefits to, to what he's done. Like you can see that like with really good coordinators, when a really good coordinator comes to a team, you can see the improvement right away. Well, yeah. You know, how many years? How many years? Oh, well, we're waiting for a quarterback. Well, they've had a quarterback, right. and um, it just seems like it gets worse. Yeah, and in the sense that you know he's probably not going to get fired mid-season, I don't think. And you yeah. mentioned firing him after a game like that, not really necessary, I don't think. But let's say he doesn't make the playoffs, and it's interesting because I think Spencer and I both maintain that we think he's really kind of underrated in the sense that underrated as a head coach. Uh, but he's just sort of doesn't really help himself at all with his whole thing is taking over the GM after Rick Smith leaves amidst those tough circumstances. And since then, some of the moves he's made has really kind of hurt his key rating a little bit. Uh, but it's, you know, like the stuff you mentioned, I feel like he's a guy I'd enjoy playing for if I were a player, um, you know, sh- straight shooter and all that kind of stuff. Do you get the sense that he's on the hot seat if they don't make the playoffs this year? Well, I mean, it's going to be a hard season. I mean, I don't know if you've looked at the Texans schedule, but it is, wait, I, I have it here. Let me read off this brutality. You know, we like, were going to say, we were saying, right you know, before you got on, I said that I hadn't looked at it yet. Yeah. You know, we were like, yeah, maybe they'll start so beating up perfect. on some rough teams. And right, uh, we'll see. we start against the Kansas city chiefs. Then it's the Ravens. Then it's the Steelers Vikings. Oof. The Jaguars, who we thought were tanking, but I guess apparently are not. The Titans, who play an unorthodox form of ball and sometimes hard to play. We know all about They're them. a unique matchup for everyone. The Green Bay Packers. Boy, that's going to be fun after we saw what they did week one. And then it's the bye. So you have to survive through the bye. Now, it gets a little better you know, to end the season, mostly because they're playing within the AFC South and they get the Browns, but you know, they have to survive the first part of the season. Like, and you know, when you, when you face the hardest part of your schedule early on, sometimes your team just gets beat down. Like I don't just observationally, I don't know if there's like 
any kind of stat. a quantitative way to put it, yeah. but you can feel the energy when you're around yeah. the team enough and, and you can kind of see, I mean, it's body language. It's, it's psychology. It's those kinds of things and where and, their confidence gets rattled. You know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily thinking that their confidence will get rattled because I think that this is a very veteran team. Like they've started the mm. rookies or like the fifth fewest rookies in the league. Right. I think that they they will finish strong and O'Brien's teams have finished strong. I'm more concerned about just do they get punished so hard early in the season by playing a bunch of great teams that they're too injured to do much of anything by the end of the season. It's a long season. I mean, I guess it's going to be a long season. We don't even know if, you know, we're making assumptions that it's that way and you right. know, hopefully it is, but I mean, that's you know it's first place schedule and it's just a brutal schedule this year absolutely and then uh in terms of you know getting beat up it felt like you know tying it back the offensive line did really struggle and had some trouble is that something that people thought would be an issue uh in this season it feels like it was such an issue for so many years in houston and with tunsil who you mentioned who for people who don't know that that contract and the picks, I if you're going to trade two picks for a guy, he's not he's not a bad option too. Yeah, he is a premier position that Houston coveted for so long. So was that expected that there was going to be a little bit of trouble early on against the Chiefs, or do you feel like they kind of underperformed? And, and do you think the Ravens are going to be able to or try to exploit the Texans' offensive line? Oh, I, I'm sure that they're going to try to do that. I mean, it's pretty obvious from the tape that they were struggling. It's pretty obvious from. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned those delayed those delayed rushes. They had a lot of trouble with stunts up front. Well, and and you know Harbaugh's already talked about how Watson holds on the ball longer than everybody, right? So yeah, I mean, I think they're going to try to punish over pursuit by you know staying with their run game, even if it's not being efficient. For sure. And, I mean, they have some good options at the skill positions. If you had to pick one of these guys, you know, David Johnson, whoever in this wide receiving core, one of the unheralded tight ends to kind of break out against the Ravens for, let's say, 100-plus yards, maybe a pair of touchdowns, something like that, who would it be? Well, it's not going to be tight end because the tight end position, like, they'll get they'll get their spots. Like It's almost like they lull them to sleep. It's like, oh, we don't use the tight end position other for blocking, and then all of a sudden there's a touchdown. So that might happen. I mean, it was at least looking week one, Will Fuller got a lot of targets, and there's clearly chemistry there. I think that Randall Cobb um, kind of felt embarrassed by his lack of participation in the last game, and it may be that there is more of a desire to kind of feed more people and kind of make up for the drops that happened last week. So I don't know if there's any unheralded, like any, like, like when I've been talking about, you know, the Texans from a fantasy perspective, like there's no wide receivers that I would go, oh, yeah, you have to have this guy. But if I was to pick one, I would say Fuller. There's no tight ends where I go, oh, this is the guy. But if I had to pick one, I would say Akins. But David Johnson, he's going to keep on getting the ball until his legs fall off because Bill O'Brien sometimes has had running games that are efficient. And he's sometimes had running games that are not efficient, but what he's always had is running the ball a lot. Absolutely. And then 
in terms of just general strategy, how do you feel, what do you feel that the Texans will try to do scheme-wise, offensively, defensively, to play to their strengths against the Ravens? What do you think we end up seeing them uh, try to do in terms of chess in this game? I think they're going to try to do the things that they were not able to do against the Chiefs. Like, I think that they're going to want to control the ball. I think they're going to want to keep the Ravens offense sitting on the bench because that's going to be better than their defenses. I don't think that they have a lot of confidence in their offense. I think ideally they would like to score early and often, but everybody wants to do that against the Ravens. You know, everybody wants to put up points early against the Ravens, but you know, that's easier said than done. But yeah, I, I, I think that they're going to run the ball a lot and and try to use that in some ways to to save De- Deshaun Watson from himself like you know if if they're running the ball that's one less hit that he's going to take if they're running the ball that kind of takes some of the aggression off of of the um of the pass rush um so i i think i think that's going to be their focus like it's not going to be anything you know he might throw you know, trick play here or there, you know, sometimes those work and sometimes they look pretty disastrous, but he's not against trying things like that. So yeah, I could, I mean, but it's so early, like this is a whole different, like in, in some ways it's like from, from the Ravens perspective, you don't have a lot to look at as far as the defense, because you have a new defensive coordinator on the offensive side of the ball, you know, you have, a new offensive coordinator, but it didn't look that different this last week, other than, you know, you don't have DeAndre Hopkins. So, you know, maybe we are going to see things that we typically don't see much of. If you're a Ravens fan, what is the one thing you should be hoping for to happen on Sunday that's going to help the team get off on the right start? Oh, geez. Um, uh, Just start. I, I think, I think, what the Ravens are going to do is just keep the Texans defense on the field and abuse them and get them wore out and then just put the, the, the hurt on them. Like, you know, I, I, I don't, I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't trust that they can get off the, get, you know, the Ravens offense off the field. So you can just march right down the field. If you do that enough times, I mean, they're just wore out. And, 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 you know, so that's part of, you know, if the Texans offense doesn't have their mojo together, it's going to be a real long day for the Texans. It's going to be a real long day. But I mean, so in the end, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I think that goes for everybody. But I mean, I don't know that they have all their chemistry together yet. And it was pretty obvious by some of the pass protection, not just the offensive line, like as it relates to the tight ends and, and Watson's chemistry with his wide receivers. So in the end, would you give us a prediction? How do you feel like this one plays out in Houston? 425, I believe, on Sunday for us on the East Coast. Uh, hard to say. I'm one of those people that doesn't like making game predictions because I think if both teams played 10,000 times, there would be 10,000 different results. Uh, I think that... O'Brien by nature likes to keep the game close and hope, hopefully, you know, punch all in the face at the end and, and steal a, a victory. 
but sometimes, you know, they, sometimes it gets completely out of hand. Now I will say that, you know, Deshaun Watson has had some bounce back games where, you know, things have looked not good the week before, and then he's, he's bounced back. I mean, I think the only surprise that I would have is if the Texans ran away with it, but I wouldn't be surprised with the Texan win either. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you joining us, uh, Steph. This was a ton of fun. You gave a lot of great info and uh, really like the energy you brought here on a Thursday night. Uh, it sounded <laughs> a little therapeutic for you there at times. Except for the whole quarterback discussion of bad quarterbacks. That yeah, we, we're sorry we about won't, that. We won't mention the B.O., the stinky guy. We won't bring him up again. <laughs> stinky Brock. We won't bring him up anymore. But uh, before we get you out of here, where can the uh, listeners of the show find you and your stuff? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at Steph Stradley, just has, as it's spelled on the screen. And in my bio on my Twitter, I have uh, the link to all my Chronicles stuff. And then I also have a link to my personal blog where I write about things that are not Texan stuff, but people sometimes dig. Awesome. Well, really appreciate it again. And uh, you have yourself a great weekend, okay? You guys too. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Steph. Anytime. Bye. All right. Well, that was a ton of fun. Uh, great info, like I said there. Steph that sounded a ton of fun. That was yeah. one of our best interviews. Yeah, she really was. She uh, hang in there, gave some great info after you know a rough opening effort by the Texans there in Week One. You could tell she was maybe a little bit down uh, on them in that sense. But uh, yeah, man, that was that was a really good interview. Wow, it was it was just ironic that we were thinking, oh well, they start with the the Chiefs and the Ravens. Maybe it gets a little better after that. But then Pittsburgh coming in hot with that defense, and she then, had that schedule ready uh, to go. I was like, yep, this is uh, she knows she knows what they're in for here. Yeah, if you have the schedule ready, that means that you're in fear of it. So yeah, obviously, there. The, I think the the Jags, I think, shocked people. I think they shocked the Colts. But let's let's be real here. I don't I don't yeah. see that team winning five games. Maybe five, you know, with some Ming Shu magic. But outside of that, it sounds yeah. a little, little much there. But uh, I guess before we get going, buddy, you want to make some predictions of our own? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, we had a quick comment from George who said, not great against the most complex blitz defense in the league. Which uh, And we saw that last year. Yeah, definitely. And um, the, the blitzes on, I mean, just rewatching some of this tape against Cleveland, some of these blitzes are insane. Right, and I think that people are concerned, fans are concerned about the, the quote-unquote lack of pass. Ravens did get 17 pressures, 17 pressures, but they weren't, they didn't rush upfield. They didn't want, the wanted to get into the pocket and have Baker make out. I think they wanted to force Baker to throw the ball. They didn't want to kind of sack him. They wanted turnovers there. They were dropping Judon, dropping Bowser, dropping those things. And it's the kind of the same thing against Watson where you don't want to over-pursue because once he gets past you, he's dangerous. And it's like Lamar, and I hate to say it, without Hopkins, Sean Watson, you can find it. I'll, I'll post it on Twitter. I don't have it right in front of me. But without Hopkins, Watson has not been a, an above-average quarterback. He's been a very average quarterback. And Steph made a great point that having Hopkins, a guy that wins one-on-one -on -one at such a high rate in so many different routes, limits what you can throw at him. And, or what coverages you can use against the Texans. But without that, like you said, the training wheels are off now. You don't have DeAndre Hopkins to rely upon. She mentions Aikens, the tight end. He he seems like maybe a, a slight upgrade, but it's just crazy to me that the Texans never have tight ends for him. They don't have a true threat. They don't have a guy. The best that can, thing that you can uh, have for a young quarterback is a good space-eating tight end in the middle of the field. Right, because the middle of the field's easiest to throw over, it's easier to see, it's a shorter throw, all that good stuff, and they just don't have one. So now, 
a team in the Ravens that was able to really cage Watson and beat him up. I don't know. I don't have it in front of me again. I should have prepared a little better here with the stats, but I believe they hit him 13 times in what was that week 11 of last year, week 10 of last year, somewhere around there. Oh, they assaulted him and they let him run outside of the pocket and that swarmed. They allowed him to establish where the pocket was going to be or where the play was going to be. And then they corralled him. And we saw Wink Martindale today mention how practicing against Jackson forces the Ravens defense to keep integrity and stay balanced in their rushes, not overcommit. And I think that Deshaun Watson's a great athlete. I think he's very strong. I think that he is elusive. I think that he's a lot stronger than he looks in terms of breaking tackles in the backfield and things like that. But he's not Lamar Jackson in the backfield escaping. He has made some crazy plays, but we just watched Lamar Jackson basically just sprint out of pressure so fast that it was like there was no pressure and reestablish himself. And I think that the Ravens have athletes like Bowser and Judon and Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison and Chuck Clark. They blitz these DBs. So there's going to have a speed element to it and they're going to be, a, there's going to be a power element to it. And that didn't work out for Deshaun Watson in Baltimore last year with Deandre Hopkins. And it feels like it's not going to work out again. They haven't made significant improvements. They looked rusty. They looked off kilter. And I, I just struggle to see this Texans offense putting up more than, you know, two or three scoring drives. Four passes completed beyond 10 yards for Deshaun in week one. One of them was a touchdown, but then he also had an interception beyond 10 yards. So kind of a rough uh, air yards week there for Deshaun. And uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm kind of with her in that I think the Ravens are really going to take care of business here. I think they're a significantly better team than the Texans, not only on the roster, but in coaching and on the dossier. I believe I said 33-23 Ravens, so expecting another uh, 10 um, double-digit win there and a cover by Baltimore. Yeah, I think the Ravens win this one as well. It feels like they uh, had so much going on in terms of motion on offense, in terms of number advantages. And I think that there's this like this whole thing about J.J. Watt with Ravens fans. I don't know what it is. They think that he's like going to be able to somehow wreck this game. but PTSD of uh, just throwing Flacco into the dirt however many times he did over the, the course of their, he, he, their he almost single-handedly won that game he tr- that was his rookie year I think too uh, well they had the game they had the game the Super Bowl year where they let's let's be honest they molly whopped him like 44 13 I think yes they did yeah they smacked them in Houston that was his second Andre year. Johnson that was like that was like the last of Andre Johnson's great seasons I think if I'm yeah. not mistaken Remember, I was getting uh, my oil changed there. watching that. Like, man, I'm sitting here. I'm a huge Andre Johnson guy. Oh, yeah. Huge His Andre fight Johnson with Cortland Finnegan is a uh, stuff of legend. That just was like the cherry on top of another bed of cherries of reasons why I love Andre Johnson. But again, I don't feel – Steph made a lot of good points. It feels like the Texans offense – pardon me. Texans offense has to work so hard There's to Chargers-esque in that way. They just feel so – they're just trying so hard. Like, it's like – it reminds me of the Chargers. Right. And that's that is a good comparison. Um, they they don't have rhythm. There's not easy plays. There's not easy manufactured offense. There's not wide open scheme things. You know, in terms of the Chiefs, it's it's those screens. We saw a plethora of screens used against the Texans that were really successful. Andy Reid, the screen master, of course, he's crushed the Ravens with those the last years, and we're about to see it in a week. But um, the motion, the motion, they don't they're not able to compete with the motion. And then on defense, they don't have the athletic talent uh, paired with tech at all. 
Lamar Jackson ran all, he had one of the highlight runs of his career so far against them. They don't have players that can play inside out and chase Jackson perimeter like the Titans had or like the 49ers had or like the Bills had. And while Jackson still did make plays, uh, I think it was very, 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 very tough. So in the end, I think the Ravens run away this one again. Uh, the first week, I was a little hesitant. I did Ravens winning by two scores, but now I'm confident. I, th- I think this one is a two-score minimum in difference, just thinking about how Texans didn't get a lot better from last year. They lose Hopkins. They lose DJ Reader. was able to do some things in that matchup last year. So I'm going to go Ravens uh, over 30 points again. We'll go 37. I'm going to go with Texans 16, 37-16. I think it's going to be a big win again. And I, was tempted. I think it's going to start to... Go ahead. Yeah, I was tempted to go higher as well, but just a little respect for Deshaun Watson there is why I'm I'm giving them above 20 points at home. I just haven't seen him do anything without Hopkins yet until that day happens. Well, it's been one game, could be to be fair. Well, he's play, He's actually played, I believe, six games now without DeAndre Hopkins in his career, and his you know EPA, QR, CPOE, passer rating, everything All goes is down. substantially worse. What about his uh, What about his BYOE? His bring your own elephant energy. Bring your own. Give me one second. Pull it up, baby. Need the clips. But yeah, I think the Ravens run away with this guys one again. Bro. Guys being dudes, guys being bros. We're just we're playing some ball. It's Tucker talking. Guys to, being uh, dude. Tucker talking. Guys to, being bros. <laughs> What a lewd. That's Tucker talking to Bobby Cross. That's a shout out to uh shout out to the both of those guys. Jesus. It's Good a B B Y O E. Bring your own energy. B Y O E. Tucker, we don't deserve Tucker. We really don't. Especially right now. It's funny. Um when <sighs> Steven, was when Steven Gostowski was just ejecting on national television, uh Josh Hermsmeyer and Mina Khans were tweeting. It's funny how like the Ravens have Justin Tucker and they don't even need him. And I was like, well, if you look at the first like six years of his career, he was kind of carrying the, their <laughs> offense. So it kind of evens out in the end. And uh, let's yeah. think about they what those like mediocre that. eight and eight, nine and seven ish teams would have been without Justin Tucker. It's a two game swing against the Ravens, at least in my opinion. I feel like they lose two games a year without. Tucker. That's what I'm saying. Two games, like two, three games a year without him during the really bad yeah. Blacko years. Has to be the most valuable kicker of all time in terms of consistency and and what he was able to do last year. They kind of fucked around on the kickoffs a little bit, and the Bengals ended up having that return where they were kind of trying to sky the ball, the mortar kicks really, really, really high, and then had a couple big returns, but able to boot the ball out and able to score from anywhere. And we haven't even really had to see it that much. The what the 49ers game last year. Were there any other instances where Tucker was Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh, yeah, Pittsburgh for the game winner, good call. Uh, but yeah, let's maybe maybe this one's a close one. Maybe we're we're talking this into existence. Maybe this is a close one, and Tucker bails him out. Listen, it, it, it is it, about it's it's almost Tucker time. Yeah, anything can happen. You know, you, no disrespect to the Texans or anything like that, particularly at home. But you kind of mitigate some home field advantage with crowd noise going away. Uh, you know, it's I, I am expecting the Ravens to sort of just go and take care of business here and uh, tune things up for their their game against the uh, Chiefs. So, yeah, I think the difference between the Chiefs and the Ravens for the Texans. I think the Ravens are not going to care about the the kind of safe approach if that's the route the Texans go. I, I don't think you can not stack the box against Lamar Jackson in this scenario, not having athletes to really run with them. 
if they don't, the Ravens going to run all over them. And if they do, I feel like the Ravens are in a Terminator mode right now and just want to take deep shots and, and make big plays still in the passing game. So I feel like maybe maybe there's a turnover or two, a tip ball, something like that, and it's close for a while. But in the end, I think the Ravens run away with this one. So going to go again, 37-16. Jake has 33-23. Is that what you said? Yep. 33-23. Late, Love to uh, hear late it. backdoor cover there by, by the Texans. Well, not cover, but backdoor 20-point uh, game there by the Texans. Late touchdown. That would, that would be that would, yeah. I could see, I could see a late little cover there. Late little cover would make sense, but, but yeah, yeah it's minus seven, it. so they wouldn't be covering. So I got the Ravens covering, but we're not a gambling podcast. What's the FanDuel drop the bag? It's a uh, minus seven, I think. Ravens seven right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, mm, I'll, I'll put money on that. Let's do it. I'll put money on that again, guys. It is posted on Twitter again as we're going to break the show down and get out of here. Score prediction: There is a thread pinned at Ravens for Dummies. It is my pinned tweet. If you correctly predict the score in that thread of the Texans Ravens game and send a screenshot of you subscribe to this podcast. Uh, I, if I have a big gambling day, it will be more than one person. I did not have a big gambling day as I took some lumps on the Indianapolis team up there. I'll, I'll abide by Vaz's rules and not say their mascot, but Indy screwed me. So if someone picked the Browns Ravens game correctly, which did not happen, uh, would have been one. If there's a big one, it'll be more than one. So predict the score, send a screenshot of you following, and win some money. So let's let's get some score predictions, see if anybody can hit it on the head. And yeah, we'll, we'll try and get some contests. We'll, we'll get some t-shirt contests going like next week as well. We'll figure that out, probably get some review contests. Yeah, keep hitting like us that. with those uh, five-star reviews, and we'll, uh, we'll read some on the show and stuff. And uh, if you got any questions or anything like that, you can feel free to throw them in there. really helps us with the algorithm there on uh, Apple. So if you're listening on Apple, hit us with the five-star review, and let us know what you love about this beautiful man sitting across from me. We'll take it. We'll take it. Don't say anything mean about Jake. That didn't go so well last time. We yeah. Had, we, had to get, we had to get him a weighted blanket. And <laughs> well, listen, I already had one, but we don't have to talk about that. I don't. Look, look like James Hurst. I don't. That was. <laughs> James uh, Hurst. All right. We've devolved here, but yeah, appreciate you guys. We're going to have to get a mailbag going. It's been a while. Brandon Thorne had to reschedule. We're going to try and get Brandon Thorne to break down the trenches of CBS Sports. Again, next week, we are going to keep trying to get these previews, see if we can get joined by someone who covers the opposition for the Ravens weekly. Do our best there. Some guests flowing. So we'll try and do a mailbag next week at some point. Maybe we'll just have a straight mailbag episode on like Wednesday or something. But appreciate you guys. Like Jake said, leave us five stars. Follow Jake. I'm stealing it again. I've been I've been itching to steal the outro lately. I don't know why. It's fun to say. To. It so, honestly is like a pretty a fun thing to uh, get the vocal cords going. Okay, I'm stealing it. Yeah, you enjoy. So you can find Jake at Jake Luke. That's L-O-U-Q-U-E. He is pumping out the dossier every week to give you the latest and the greatest on the Ravens opponent. You can find myself at Ravens for Dummies. That's the number four. You can find the show at Podcast Beatdown. That'll tweet out links and fun clips and everything. Jake controls that. Uh, make sure to follow the account on Instagram. That's at Be More Beatdown. And Instagram, it's Baltimore underscore Beatdown. What is it? Baltimore underscore beatdown. You got to be throwing a perfect Baltimore game underscore. here if you're taking this from me. All right, I uh, I botched that. It's I botched okay. it. It's... I botched like the sixth inning, so I had to get pulled. It's but okay. You, you're like uh, underscore beatdown. You're like Dean Kramer out there. You're doing pretty good, and then you know you have maybe a rough moment or two, but overall, good stuff. I'm mm. liking it. Overall, good stuff. So give us those follows. Give us those reviews. We appreciate you guys. We love you guys. We'll be talking to you soon, and that's it. Stay frosty. See ya. Ha 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 
All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right, God bless. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs>